Hello, Heart and Soul listeners. I'm Pastor Greg Lundstedt, and I'm so glad that I can share my series from Equipping the Saints with you. I pray that God will grow each and every one of you in Christ through this series. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings that they may see you. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned or polluted your sanctuaries. Therefore, I have brought fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth. In the eyes of all who see you, all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will be no more. We know from the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, that he has fallen. How you have fallen, verse 12, from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I'll raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit in the mount of the assembly, the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's Isaiah speaking of Lucifer. Nevertheless, you will be thrown down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. We see in Revelation chapter 12, verse 4, that Satan took a third of the angels when he was cast out of heaven. Now we know he has access. He appears up and down, but he will eventually be thrown out for good. The end of Revelation chapter 12. So then we have the most beautiful, wise, powerful angel having fallen who now continually schemes against the people of God. If you are a believer in some manner or fashion, Satan through his minions or himself, however it is, we don't know if he directly to any of us, you know, but we know we are tempted by him. We see it in scripture. We see that he schemes against us. And we are not to be ignorant of his schemes. The Apostle Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 2.11. We are not ignorant of his schemes. It's not that we don't know about how he functions. But yet we can, on a practical basis, forget. And we need to be reminded so that we would stand firm in the Lord, so that we would put on the full armor of God, that we would be able to stand against those schemes. Well, what are his schemes? Again, his names actually give us a clue. Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 20, verse 1, I'll read this to you. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the abyss, a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil, and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He's called the dragon. That's a metaphoric description that likens him to a monster, monstrous reptile. Second, he's called the serpent of old, metaphorically speaks of that cunning serpent, the snake, at first the wicked deception we see, certainly in the garden. Third, he is called the devil, diabolos, the throw-through, he divides and separates. And lastly, is called Satan, and the word Satan means adversary. He is the constant enemy of God's people, and that's what his name means, adversary. If you've ever had an adversary, they are against you. They're constantly against you. He is the one who deceives the whole world, and he is the accuser 
of the brethren. He accuses believers day and night before God. Look at this in Revelation chapter 12. And we see here in Revelation 12, the context is there was war in heaven and Michael and his archangels, the devil and his, and the devil lost and he is thrown out. This is in the middle of the seven-year tribulation. He is thrown to earth. And then there is a praise from those in heaven, which would include us if you're a believer, because we will have been raptured and we will be in heaven at the time because we will have been seeing him accuse our brethren on earth day and night. But we will praise God that he's been thrown down. Revelation 12, 7, And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. Amen. Isn't that great? And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Now, this isn't his initial throwdown. This is his final throwdown. The serpent, who is of old called the devil Satan, who deceives what? The whole world. Those who aren't in Christ are under his deception. He says there, and he was thrown down to earth and his angels thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. And if you're a believer and you go to be with him or you are alive when the Lord comes, we're going to be there. He says, and a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. So while we're in heaven, we see that the accuser is accusing day and night, but he will be thrown down. But that's one of his schemes. That's one of his tactics is to make accusations against believers. That's why we'll see later on, we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to recognize having had that put on, we're righteous already in Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. So we don't fall to his schemes when we fail and are rightfully accused. But then we are rightfully not condemned because Christ has taken the punishment in our place. Zechariah chapter 3, then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Praise the Lord. So then, we have an enemy. And he is also, as we see in Scripture, called the tempter. The tempter. He tempts us, as we will say. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry, and the tempter came to him. Notice he comes when he's vulnerable physically. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, he is called the tempter also by Paul to the Thessalonians. So we have the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan, the accuser of the brethren, the tempter, and these names are very descriptive and they give us an idea into his schemes. Now notice his nature. The Lord Jesus uncovers him because his nature is the nature of those who are in his spiritual family. And that is everybody before we come to Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, 44, Jesus says to those Jews who thought they were of their Father in heaven, but they weren't because they hadn't believed in Jesus and they hadn't believed his word. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Well, guess what? They did want to kill him, didn't they? 
You bet they did. And he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he doesn't speak always a lie, he twists it and he adds it in and mixes it up. Whenever he speaks a lie, he says there, he speaks from his own nature for he is a liar and the father of lies, a murderer and a liar. We see in Hebrews chapter 2 that he uses God's righteous judgment against sin for his tool. He uses death as his tool. He can go to God and say, well, they deserve to be separated because they've sinned, because you're righteous and holy. But yet God foiled all that through bringing Christ to provide forgiveness of sins. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since there the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Christ, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless or impotent him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Praise the Lord for that. And we see that Satan here in this context is also, as I mentioned earlier in the parable of the terrorists, he is the Lord's enemy. He's a liar, a murderer. He has the power of death. He uses fear and death as his tool. And he is our enemy. Now notice, Scripture also reveals that he and his cohorts aren't running around with pitchforks and devil horns. He disguises himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13, For such men, Paul would talk about these false apostles, are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, or don't wonder, don't marvel, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself. Therefore, it's not surprising his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds. That's why we need to be strengthened in the Lord. That's why we need to put on the full armor. That's why we need to know the truth of God. That's why we need to trust the God of the truth. Because there are imposters and evil men and women who are disguising themselves, trying to lead those in the body of Christ astray. So we have a liar, a murderer, a tempter, and one who disguises himself. Now, sadly, in the church, discernment is out the window. So often, someone thinks something sounds good, they buy into it and they go with it, rather than testing it with the Word of God and trusting the God of the Word. Now, we also know that he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That means he's searching for a good target, a vulnerable Christian who is not standing in the word of God, standing firm in Christ, believing his word, trusting in Jesus. First Peter 5, 8, be sober spirit. Don't be all caught up in your situation and your worries and whatever's happening in your life. Don't let that happen. Get your mind and your thinking straight. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him firm in your faith, or literally the faith. Resist him believing the truth concerning your Savior and what he has said. Believe the truth of God. Resist the devil. We see he uses deception. He deceived Eve. He was more crafty than the other animals in the garden. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field that God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, Genesis 3.1, has God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden. He tempts us to doubt God's word. Remember in the parable of the sower with non-believers, he steals away the word. He steals it away. 
Genesis 3.1, I read this earlier, the second half. Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden. Verse 4, and the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die. He tempts us to not believe the truth of what God has said and the consequences for disobeying such truth. He also tempts us to doubt God's goodness. We see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Basically, he says the same thing God said in the Hebrew, that you'll surely die, not he negates it. For God knows, and here's his temptation, in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You're missing out, Eve. God is holding back from you. He knows this, but he hasn't told you this. What's the big temptation and the big lie in his temptation for us and here even for Eve? That your judgment is as good as God's judgment. That we can substitute our wisdom for God's wisdom. One pastor writes, the process of temptation begins with an invitation for us to trust our evaluation rather than humbly receiving God's word. And I agree wholeheartedly. And what does God say about our own wisdom in James chapter 3? Who among you are wise in understanding? Verse 13, let him show by his behavior and his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant so as to lie against the truth. This wisdom which manifests in this behavior, by the way, that's what he's saying, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. That's what James says. Now, Satan's powerful and he does tempt us, but we need to recognize we are the ones who make the choice to sin. And it is not God in any way that is tempting us. God does not tempt us to do anything. We yield to temptation, whether it is from ourselves or from Satan. We are responsible. James chapter 1 is very clear about that. Let no one say, verse 13, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. God is doing this. No, God does not tempt anyone. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. He's actually telling us how to avoid the schemes and stand firm. It's the opposite. And he does not tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own desires. Desires to get out of the circumstance, desires to do whatever, whatever it is. Carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, notice the language, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. How we give Satan a platform in our lives at times by simply not believing what God says, by relying on our own wisdom or our own feelings about our circumstances or whatever it might be, our own analysis. We heard this earlier. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Don't Let your wisdom about your circumstance, which may be all accurate on the horizontal level, don't trust in that. Trust in the Lord completely. Or you are a very large target for the enemy to devour if you use your own wisdom. We have an enemy who will tempt us to trust in ourselves and our own analysis of our circumstances and situations. 
to tempt us to believe our judgment is basically as good as God's judgment. To doubt God's word, maybe not to set aside, we believe God's word, oh, I believe that, but we set it aside in our actual thinking and hearts. Now, folks, there's one other major method that Satan uses or scheme. He capitalizes, as he does with sin and death, he capitalizes on our sin. You see, the Ephesians were warned earlier to not give Satan a place by holding on to irritation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your pargasmus. You're a long sinner. Even the feelings that come alongside that irritation, don't go to sleep with it. It's a righteous anger and you're justified. Don't even go to sleep with it. Now, ungodly anger, read in Proverbs, all the Proverbs about anger. You shouldn't even be doing that. But here he says, and do not give the devil an opportunity or a place. And I see this in the lives of Christians and so-called Christians who have given Satan a place in their heart because they have gone to bed angry or irritated at their spouse or whoever and they have given him a place and now they see their spouse and the way it is through Satan's satanic eyes rather than through the eyes of forgiveness, grace, and love in Jesus Christ. Don't do it. He capitalizes on our sin. He also capitalizes on pride. If you are prideful and worldly, as we'll see, you need to be careful because you are now easily used by Satan. James 4.4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And what was the worldliness he's talking about? It was the conflicts they were having because they wanted their own way. It's not going to movies and dancing. It's worldliness in terms of arguments and conflict. It says, you adulteresses, do you not know friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us, but he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you are prideful, you are elevating yourself in thinking you can live worldly in a sense without trusting the Lord, living that way and get away with it. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. If you are living a life and you are not submitting to God in the areas that he has declared in your life, if you're not submitting, you are a huge target and Satan is going to take advantage of you. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Now he's talking about repentance here. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Confess your sin. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is what we are to do. And when we are not humbling ourselves, we are targets. We will be used by him. Now, in the same light, unforgiveness is the same thing. When we are unforgiving, we are used by Satan. If you have unforgiveness in your life, you are living a horrible life. Because you may not be saved. 
But if you are saved, I guarantee you are miserable because you will never be joyful or happy disobeying God, especially in an area that is so great as unforgiveness when Christ has forgiven us for so much. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 10. But if you forgive anything, I forgive also, Paul writes. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ in order that no advantage be taken of us, that's believers, by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his scheme. Second Corinthians 2, verse 10 and 11. Satan uses our sinfulness as a huge lever and leverage in our lives. And it's ugly to see that in the life of a believer. Don't let it happen. Confess your sin. Walk rightly before the Lord. Yes, we mess up, but don't hold on to it. Don't you dare hold on to these things. Anger and unforgiveness. Worldliness. Which will show in your actions. As high as the heavens are above the earth As far as the waters cover all the seas So high, so great Is the love you have for me As far as the east is from the west You've taken away my worthlessness You've turned my shame Into joyful praise As high as the heavens are above the earth As far as the waters cover all the seas So high, so great Is the love you have for me As far as the east is from the west You've taken away my worthlessness You've turned my shame Into joyful praise Forever I will thank you for The grace you've given me I once was lost, but now I'm found You're everything I need I worship you, I live for you You're all that I desire And forever I will live to tell of your unfailing love As high as the heavens are above the earth As far as the waters cover all the seas So high So great is the love you have for me As far as the east is from the west You've taken away my worthlessness You've turned my shame into joyful praise Forever I will thank you for the grace you've given me I once was lost but now I'm found You're everything I need I worship you, I live for 